So I wanted to talk about your article about the Trudeau doctrine first, uh, just yesterday's article. This is something, you know, we're talking about a few areas here. We're talking about the SNC-Lavalin and the Liberal government and Haiti and Venezuela. You're one of the few people who can put this together. And what some people might see as a bunch of separate stories or a bunch of separate issues, you understand them in their totality to a greater extent. So you are looking at Venezuela, and in the case of Canada, this is where we have a big role, and you've been one of the people in covering this. So when you're talking about a Trudeau doctrine, a way of structuring thought and action for Canada, this Venezuela interference is something that falls under that Trudeau doctrine. Um, You took the title from the Monroe Doctrine. Most of our listeners should hopefully be familiar with that, but briefly, if People don't know what the Monroe Doctrine was. What was that? It was a doctrine put forward by a U.S. president that uh, initially, back in 1823, said that um, uh, that uh, the European powers were not supposed to meddle in the uh, Western Hemisphere. Um, and so it was kind of framed initially as this sort of uh, anti-imperialist kind of uh, kind of doctrine, and. Uh, over the years, it became a uh, little more than a uh, cover for the U.S. to decide what government uh, should be in what country and became a justification for uh, U.S. Uh, intervention in all kinds of different forms. Yeah, something that's coming back in a big way, although it never really left. Uh, now, for us here in Canada, we have this Trudeau doctrine, and a lot of actions could be understood to fall under that. So... When you're talking about what that consists of, or what, what are the main elements, or what are the elements of this Trudeau doctrine as, as you see it? Well, I, I mean, it, it's it's a uh, certain way of kind of framing this aggressive intervention. You have to understand that Canada is leading this charge against the government in Venezuela. Um, Canada has uh, brought about sanctions, three rounds of sanctions, illegal sanctions against the government in Venezuela, has uh, uh, been uh, condemning the government in very, very harsh terms, has uh, uh, organized a coalition of countries uh, uh, to oppose, the regional coalition to oppose the Venezuelan government, the so-called Lima group of countries, Canada and Peru were the main backers of that uh, group about uh, two years ago. Canada has been uh, supporting opposition groups. Uh, goes back a, quite a, quite a few years, at least uh, about, about fifteen years, but in a very aggressive form over the past two years, has really been conspiring with oppositional forces in, in Venezuela. And, and in the past couple of months, um, was right at the forefront of the uh, uh, secret campaign to build support for. Uh, the head of the National Assembly, Juan Guaido, uh, declaring himself um, uh, president of the country. Canada was uh, involved in the backroom negotiation on that issue for a couple months before it, it took place. Uh, Canada has been just really sort of pushing this this uh, regime change effort in Venezuela. Now, it's doing so under the guise of saying that we're trying to support the Venezuelan constitution, saying that we're trying to support democracy, saying that... Um, we're, uh, this is, you know, this regional coalition, the Lima Group, is, you know, working outside of the control of the, the regional hegemon, i.e. the U.S. Um, 
but uh, but in fact, it's working. Uh, Canada is working hand in hand with the U.S. In fact, uh, Canada is uh, uh, undercutting the Venezuelan constitution. It says it's upholding. Um, in fact, it's it's you know undermining uh, uh, democracy in Venezuela. So so I think that's the sort of that's where the, the, you know the, the idea of a Trudeau doctrine sort of comes in, where it's the certain kind of framing of uh, of Canadian actions um, uh, in a in a certain type of light. And, and I should say, going, going further with it, some of the rhetoric that Canadian officials have used um, to justify this aggressive intervention in Venezuela is to refer to uh, Venezuela as in our neighborhood or in our backyard. Um, that's the language of, uh, of uh, you know, ugly American U.S. politicians who have been, you know, upholding the, the Monroe Doctrine um, uh, for a century. So this is this is the language of, of, of uh, you know, aggressive uh, interventionist policy. Yeah, we've heard this before. I mean, I, and you pointed out in the article, and I'm glad you did, Eve, uh, because you quoted uh, Christia Freeland, who, of course, is at the center of this with regard to Venezuela, um, and she's referring to our activity there, and she says, this is our neighborhood. Uh, for Canadians, we have a very direct interest in what happens in our hemisphere. That is why we have been so active, and we will continue to be so active. And when she said that, it didn't come too long after, you know, Bill Maher said on American TV, you know, this is our backyard, uh, you know, with reference to, to Trump and others being in, in uh, Venezuela. So there's this idea that Canada and the United States can and should be directly involved in the internal politics of other countries because it's our neighborhood or our backyard yard exactly and it, and it, and it and it's you know basically uh it's it's a, a, a legitimating um an effort to uh, overthrow uh, an elected government. Yeah, you know, um, if you step back from all of this, and your article has such great highlights when you think about some of the what you're pointing out here. Um, one of them is uh, first, Canada is taking a front line. Uh, like a lead role in this coup. So we're not just tagging along some other countries. Canada has been organizing main elements of this coup. And you talked about the Lima group. And I was wondering if you could talk, tell us a little bit more because uh, you said that like it was way back in 2017, Canada's organizing this group outside of the organization of American states uh, and, and trying to make it look like the U.S. is not involved. So uh, what did we do to put together like this Lima group? Because it looks like we set up some meetings. We got this thing rolling a couple years ago. Uh, yes, uh, I mean the back in May of 2017, um, Trudeau personally met with uh, um, the wife of the head of uh, Juan Guaido's party, uh, Voluntad Popular, um, uh, Leopoldo Lopez, who's uh, was in jail, uh, now is under house arrest. So, so uh, prominent, she was his emissary. So she was going around trying to build up uh, support um, for this sort of hardline element of the opposition within Venezuela. Uh, uh, we have, at the same month, 2017, uh, May of 2017, uh, Trudeau uh, uh, having a conversation with the uh, head of state in Peru on Venezuela. Um, uh, and this was in the context of the organization American States refusing to censure Venezuela. That was why Canada and Peru set up the Lima Group, was because we couldn't get uh, the diplomatic censure via the uh, the OAS, and it should be noted that the OAS, uh, the head of the OAS, is vehemently opposed uh, to the Maduro government in Venezuela. So, so even in this body that's led by somebody who's uh, very hostile to the Venezuelan government, 
uh, there was a refusal primarily from the uh, the Caribbean countries to to go down this interventionist uh, uh, path. Um, so Canada has been you know been at the forefront. I mean, both the Associated Press, the Canadian Press, have both reported uh, that they were working uh, in in the Canadian Press article for months, according to a, a named Canadian diplomat, to build this this uh, coalition. Uh, both internally within Venezuela to support Juan, Gu- Juan Guaido's uh, declaration of himself as a pre- as president, um, and also uh, regionally in terms of uh, bringing on um, more countries. And this is this is really where Canada has been right at the forefront, which is the Lima Group. Uh, the last uh, there was a Lima Group meeting um, in, in Ottawa. Uh, there's been at least two Lima Group meetings in Canada now, so I think that's the most of any country. Um, so this yeah this is this is Canada right at the forefront. Uh, and uh, and um, uh, you know, aid Canada biggest biggest announcement of aid, uh, which is really sort of a, a thinly guised effort to uh, to demonize uh, the Venezuelan government and to, to try to stoke um, conflict, uh, the Canadian uh, aid policy. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah I, sorry, I just got to let for people that are just tuning in now. Of course, we're speaking with Canadian author, journalist, and activist Eve Angler, author of ten books, and at eveangler.ca. Is it eveangler.ca or eveangler.com? dot com dot com it's eve y v e s e n g l e r dot com uh, you can find eve's articles on rabble dot ca on socialist project the bullet in uh, counterpunch on the real news uh, huffington post and elsewhere um, and uh, he's been writing a lot about Canada, Canada's involvement there involvement is a nice way to put it uh, in Venezuela I, and I should point out by the way this is our fundraising week uh, this kind of programming you, you won't find it on CBC I don't know how often CBC interviews Eve Ang- uh, but uh, we interview Eve and we play Taylor Report episodes with Eve and others and many Canadian writers and journalists and authors and activists. So if you want to support this programming, keep it going, uh, you can you can call us live at uh, 905-528-9888 uh, or you can uh, go to cfmu.ca and click on the donate thing at the bottom of the page and there's a yellow donate button you can do that anytime this week just say it's for us unusual sources but uh this is you know we have to stick together we have to highlight uh canadian authors that are actually doing real journalism uh eve must be one of the few actual journalists in north america and uh, actually looking at in this case what our country is doing uh you made an amazing argument or, or a, a discovery there, Eve, that really needs to be pointed out because no one else is, is going to do this. And, and that is, you were talking about the ICC, the International Criminal Court, uh, in the article from yesterday. Uh, and, you know, this kind of fits in with the Trudeau doctrine, as you've been putting it. I think uh, Pierre, uh, the, the government right now, especially under Trudeau, is... Um, making itself out to be a defender of this kind of neoliberal order, you know, that the, the free trade agreements and the interventionist structures that were set up by Washington. Uh, the International Criminal Court is one of those interventionist institutions. They're never used against the core powers, the imperial countries, Canada, the U.S., France. It's never used against the Anglo-American alliance, um, but it's used against all sorts of other countries, mostly in Africa. And so if I get this right from your article, it looks like Trudeau wants to show that Canada will use the ICC against uh, South American countries. So it's, it's kind of backing this Ignatieff-style humanitarian imperialism um, against Trump's more, you know, overt militarism. So, you know, how, did, what are we, how are we wielding the ICC here? Well, back in September, uh, the, uh, Canada, uh, with a, uh, a handful of other uh, Latin American countries, brought uh, Venezuela to the International Criminal Court. 
This is the first time ever that a member state has brought another member state to uh, to the uh, I guess to the prosecutor to you know investigate the matter uh, of supposed human rights violations. So of all the, the human rights violations that have taken place uh, in the past uh, I guess fifteen or so years since the ICC has been around. Um, uh, I think it's twenty. It's over twenty years now. I think um, uh, you know Venezuela is is, is in, in this unique position. Now, when announcing this back in September, uh, there was a whole framing of how this was uh, uh, at the at the, the UN General Assembly. Uh, there was a whole framing that Canadian politicians and Canadian media put on this uh, 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 move, which was that the Trump administration. Is uh, is against uh, the uh, ICC, um, and this was a sign. Canada's uh, uh, bringing Venezuela to the ICC was a sign of Canada um, uh, kind of pushing back against the Trump administration and defending the so-called uh, uh, rules-based international order. Now, the the fact there was a CBC article by uh, Evan Dyer who uh, really delved into this and framed it just as the government wanted him to. The idea that this was sort of like bucking the Trump administration is just beyond belief. I mean, this was clearly aligned with the Trump administration's desire to overthrow the Venezuelan government, and it was clearly aligned with uh, Canadian U.S. sanctions against Venezuela, which were uh, explicit violation of the uh, UN Charter of the Organization American Charter, Organization American State Charter. So, uh, uh, you know, a clear violation of the so-called international rules-based order that Canada was claiming to uphold with this effort of bringing Venezuela to ICC. Um, uh, also, violation of the uh, non-intervention clauses in, in the UN and, and OAS. Um, so. This is this is you know this is part of the Trudeau, Trudeau doctrine. This sort of framing themselves as part of this like liberal, uh, you know, post World War II world order um, and uh, and upholding this, um, you know. But but it's it's uh, it's quite quite frankly just sort of uh, naked. Uh, uh, naked imperialism. Well, yes, and, and we'll come back to that rules-based order <laughs> in just a moment. Um, uh, it's a, it's interesting you pointed out. I mean, I think this is something that applies in, in a number of instances or in a multiple way because uh, in the article from yesterday, the Trudeau Doctrine in the bullet, it said uh, you had this quote from Jean Chrétien telling Bill Clinton uh, back when they were in government. Uh, Chrétien said, keeping some distance will be good for both of us. If we look as though we're the 51st state of the United States, there's nothing we can do for you internationally, just as a governor of a state can't do anything for you internationally. But if we look independent enough, we can do things for you that even the CIA cannot do. Uh, and, and this is a reflection of the role Canada also played during the Cold War as sort of a good cop or someone that could talk to countries the United States wasn't talking to, but really to carry out Washington's directives. And now we're seeing that, uh, you know, th- this policy continues where we play a, a more diplomatic role of delivering the same thing. Uh, it's kind of, It feels like, you know, the, the Trudeau government and, and free, Freeland as well have been just giving a different flavor of what Washington is promoting, uh, just like when... Freeland said, you know, she was defying Trump on, you know, a variety of issues. But Syria, Venezuela, Iran, they're, they're not defying the, the U.S. government. So they're, they're putting together a more diplomatic spin, it looks like. I mean, for sure. I mean, the, the, the Lima group in, in, in regards to Venezuela is just a clear example. Of this. They, they're claiming this is operating 
outside of of, of U- U.S. policy, and it's sort of it's the region coming together and, and you know, almost kind of trying to frame it as anti-American. But I mean, you have to be you, know, you have to be sort of naive beyond belief to to not see that this is operating along alongside and 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 as you mentioned, you know, extends to uh, their policy on the Ukraine, their policy on Syria, their policy on Haiti, uh, uh, Palestine, and many parts of the globe. You see that, in fact, uh, um, you know, Canada's aligned. Um, Trudeau's government is very much aligned with the U.S.-led uh, empire. Yeah, well, what I want to finish up with is what uh, the fun that I love it, the rules based government, rules based international order. I mean, that's what Trudeau was telling the Chinese. He said, oh, well, we have to extradite that Meng because we have to send her to the U.S., put her in jail, arrest her because we're a rules based government. We expect we were the rule of law trumps everything. And I mean, your other article looks into that a bit uh, with the article Canada's corrupt foreign policy comes home to roost. Um, and uh, you're looking at SNC-Lavalin in particular. Now, with this big scandal that's going on right now with the Liberal government, you know, a lot of people, they've been hearing about the basics all over the news, so we don't really need to spend much time on that. But um, you focused on something that is not being looked at, and and that is the enormous and central role of SNC-Lavalin in um, not just business transactions abroad, but also influencing uh, the government. Um, It seems to me, you know... we just talked about Canada being an imperialist actor in South America. So it has business interests, plays favorites, it topples governments. And now at home, we're seeing a reflection of this. You know, as they say, foreign policy is domestic policy because um, the, what SNC-Lavalin has been doing abroad, uh, they, they, there's, a, there's a corresponding activity here. One of the things they like to do abroad is bribe people. And your article examined that. So can you tell us about this serial bribery campaign that SNC-Lavalin did as a regular form of business. Yeah, I mean, SNC has been uh, either convicted or alleged with, you know, a great deal of evidence of bribing uh, officials in at least uh, 15 countries. Uh, it's almost for sure it's into the, into the multiple dozens. Wouldn't at all surprise me if they bribed officials in more than half the world's countries. But, um uh, they that's been something that's been going on. It's in the news a lot, and particularly with regards to Libya. Um, but there's a whole bunch of different countries, including here in, you know, in Canada, too. There's lots of uh, examples of their bribery here in Quebec. Um, and so that's happening, and, and the Trudeau government's been willing to go to bat for SNC despite these, uh, you know, all this controversy around their bribery. Um, and if you look at SNC Lavalin, this is the company that's right at the core of Canadian foreign policy. They uh, have been built up historically through Canadian aid funding. It goes back to 1963 in India, the first international project um, funded by a Canadian aid agency. Uh, they oversaw uh, diplomatic uh, offices of Canadian aid agency in the in the 60s. Uh, they have been a big. Uh, uh, you know, provided base services for Canadian military in Afghanistan. Uh, huge, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds and hundreds of different contracts they received from Canadian aid agency for operations around the world. Uh, diplomatic support from Canadian trade commissioners, from support from Export Development Canada, from Canadian commercial corporation, uh, from different uh, Canadian politicians, you know, ministers going on delegations. I mean, just, just, just on and on and on. They have been supported by the Canadian state in so many different ways. And 
in, in one way in which their, you know, sort of uh, their operations kind of have a bit of a made in Ottawa uh, uh, tint to them is with regard to the corruption, because Canada was a complete laggard with bringing in um, uh, compared to other. G7 countries, OECD countries, um, are laggard in terms of bringing any regulations around Canadian companies uh, bribing officials abroad. Um, in the early 90s, the uh, former head of uh, uh, Lavalin, which then became later, later on became SNC Lavalin, stated very clearly that when he paid bribes abroad, he made sure to get a check because you could write it off as a, a business uh, operation in Canadian tax. Uh, uh, code. So that was the case into the 90s. Uh, the Canadian government refused to bring in any legislation around uh, um, bribery abroad until they were basically forced to by the OECD. And then it took a decade after this legislation was brought in before the RCMP pursued its first case about foreign bribery. And this is just a, just a few years ago. So, so SNC's corrupting corruption abroad is very much uh, have been enabled by Canadian government policy, and so I'd say that now, what, you know, part of what we're seeing um, is this uh, this company that's incredibly powerful in Ottawa. It's been, it's been so tied in with Canadian foreign policy, um, just you know, exerting some of that uh, 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 power um, and and leading towards a, I think a you know a corrupting of the uh, Canadian uh, uh, political legal process. Um, um, but that story has largely been, uh, the broader story has largely been left out of this, uh, what they want to make the most kind of narrow liberal party scandal that the, the media can make it. Yeah, you know, it seems like bribery is a respected way of doing business in Ottawa's view because they were basically like writing it off or whatever, and it was fully understood and acknowledged and basically codified that uh, SNC-Levelin would go around bribing people in other countries, and this had been going on for decades, and that... Um, uh, I mean, you, you, the article goes into some more depth on it, but uh, the U.S. had said, you know, we maybe maybe we shouldn't should have rules against this bribery all over the place, and the Canada was like the trying to fight that or the last one to sign on, you know. So um, our government has really went out there on a limb to to help SNC Lavalin, and I think what we're seeing, you know, there's a consistent picture here, which is, you know, Canada has business interests, and you Eve know about this more than most people because you know your study on Haiti, for example, that the business interest come to dictate policy. So SNC-Lavalin was involved in Haiti and a number of other manufacturers. And uh, our policy, the government policy on on Haiti was then to overthrow an, the Aristide government, which had gone against the interests of some of these businesses. So um, our, our government is there to you know act on the interests of businesses operating abroad. It's to uh, we first we subsidize our businesses, we help them, you know, we we uh, let them get away with bribery and things like that. But the other part of that is we seem to be helping get rid of governments that might try to do something for their own people instead of just kowtowing to Canadian businesses. So that seems to be a consistent factor in Haiti and Venezuela and other places, don't you think? It's 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 a central factor. I mean, it's an important. It, it sometimes it's not. Uh, just directly, I mean, in the case of Venezuela, I, don't, I think Canada's desire to get rid of the Maduro government is not just that there are Canadian mining companies that want at massive gold reserves in the country. It is partly that, but it's also the fact that the uh, nationalistic, socialistic pol- mineral resource policies that the Venezuelan government has brought in are a threat to Canada's massive mining industry throughout the hemisphere. Uh, and there's tens and tens of billions of dollars of Canadian um, um, uh, mining investment in, in Latin America and, uh, you know, pushes 
efforts, political efforts that go in a direction of, of more, you know, nationalistic, socialistic policies threaten those uh, resources. And, and, you know, there's in Haiti also is a, there was the coup was partly, uh, in 2004 was partly inspired by, you know, Canadian, uh, guild and active wear that wanted the sweatshop labor, uh, and the Aristide government had doubled the minimum wage. I mean, he was asking, you know, companies to pay a full, uh, I think it was two and a half dollars a day, uh, and they didn't want to. They won't have to pay such a such an outrageous uh, wage to, to Haitian sweatshop workers. So that's part of the uh, uh, what what went into uh, uh, driving policy in, in Haiti. Um, but there's no doubt that Canadian corporate interests um, have uh, they control the discussion on Canadian foreign policy to a large extent. They're the ones who fund all of the main uh, foreign policy uh, uh, think tanks from the Canadian Council on Africa, the Canadian Council of the Americas, uh, Montreal, uh, Conseil Montréal de International. Um, and so their perspective of, of international affairs is really a, a, f- a front and center in the, in the discussion. Yes, you know, it's funny because, I mean, Canada... It's always lecturing other countries, including Haiti and Venezuela and other countries, you know, how to behave and what they're doing wrong and they should be put in front of a court. And meanwhile, look at our own behavior in Venezuela, interfering in an election where Maduro won. You know, there's no question he won. And we are saying, well, this guy, we want him in there and uh, we're going to use aid as a weapon where you got to take this aid that's tied to political strings. And, you know, uh, we're going to use the media against you and we're going to go right into Haiti and just remove the president. And we're going to fund all sorts of groups that, you know, would never be allowed in Canada. We're going to fund media and opposition parties and so on. We're the people lecturing on how people are supposed to behave and run elections. It's just hilarious. Anyway, I think this whole SNC-Lavalin thing has made it easier to see how things really work, both in terms of media and government and government corporation relationships. You've been hammering away at this at a long time, but I think your position is becoming stronger and more clear. So the work you're doing, it pays off, and um, you're being shown to be right on so many of these things. So Eve, thanks so much for being with us on this uh, important program today. And again, people can find you at eveengler.com. Is that right? It's eveengler.com? eveengler.com. And I just invite uh, listeners to, uh, if you have the ability to make sure to make a donation because there are uh, very uh, few uh, uh, media outlets that are willing to talk about uh, Canadian foreign policy from a critical uh, perspective. Well, thanks very much, Eve. We'll keep an eye out for your next articles. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was Eve Engler. And uh, yes, uh, I thank him for his uh, fundraising pitch there for us. Yes, it's an important time for us because last month the Ontario government announced they were changing the way student fees were collected. So a large portion of CFMU's funding can disappear. We don't know how much. uh, I don't know, 5%, 50%. we, We get all sorts of guesses, but it's a very important time to be funding us to keep programming like this going. So you can call in a donation at 905-528-9888. And you can do that during business hours all week. Um, It's 905-528-9888. And uh, Doug can take your your call. And of course, you know, if you give $30, you can get a Friends of CFMU card, which you can use at all sorts of local businesses and like the House of Java and Revolution Records and The Ship. And uh, I've actually used it at some of the local businesses because I got one for doing the fundraiser. This ain't Hollywood. You know, Luke could tell you all about that. Uh, you can you can use this card to get discounts. And 
So you want to do that. Uh, you can you can donate thirty dollars and get that card. And if you do forty five dollars, you can get the card and a CFMU mug. Sixty dollars brings you one of the most anticipated prizes. It's the Friends of CFMU card and the T-shirt. And we we have new designs in the last few years. Uh, so if you have an older one. You probably want to get a newer one. You want to get this one, so you can do that. And, of course, if you do $75, you get everything. You get the Friends of CFMU card. You get the T-shirts and the mug. So you can do it that way. And, of course, you can. what most people seem to be doing these days is doing it online. Uh, you go to cfmu.ca, and you can do this from anywhere. And you don't have to be in Hamilton, but uh, go to cfmu.ca, and there's like a donate thing at the bottom that pops up. And just click on the yellow button. It's uh, I think it's like a PayPal-type link. You want to go through there, and if it says, like, mention program, you would mention us, unusual sources. But uh, that's what we want to do. We want-